are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Hello and good morning. My name is Catherine, for those of you who don't know me, and it's so nice to come together this morning as we continue our series, Hope Matters. I don't know about you, but Chris and I have really enjoyed over the last few weeks starting to meet with friends and family as lockdown has eased. And a few weeks ago, before the end of term, Chris and I got together with some of my colleagues in their back garden and we were sat around the fire pit and we were talking and sharing stories. And one of the stories my colleague's husband shared was about how they came about their front extension on their home. To give you a bit of context, they live on the edge of a private estate and he is in the music industry. He is a stage manager for huge festivals that are well known. And he's very rock and roll and we absolutely love him. He has such a great sense of humour. But the thing is, because of how he looks, he doesn't quite fit in with the street clientele according to his neighbours. And so when it came to making or building, sorry, their front extension, the neighbours kind of got together in a bit of a coup against them. And what they did is they started to put in petitions for this front extension. And they even offered my colleague and her husband money to move out of the street. In fact, they were willing to pay more than their home was worth to encourage them to move out of the street because they didn't fit into this clientele. And what was even worse, as he was telling this story and we were all kind of shocked, was that the couple that were leading this neighbourhood coup against them were a Christian couple. Now, many of my work colleagues know that I'm a Christian and lots of them know that Chris leads Hope Church. And some of them have come to our events and we have fantastic conversations in the workday at different times. And one of the things that surprises them is when I say that I'm a Christian because I don't tut. I'm not a tutting Christian, as they use. That's someone who gives judgmental looks or tuts or comments about people and how they act. And so when we were in the midst of hearing this story and heard that it was a Christian couple that led this coup, we were a bit like, oh dear. And the guy luckily said to us, don't worry, they aren't Christians like you guys. Phew. And the reason why I tell you this story is because Christians are so good at coming up with ways to make the moral high ground. And this morning, we're going to be digging into the Bible and looking at the Pharisees, the religious people in Jesus' time, and how they were trying to fight for a moral high ground as they judged a woman based on her appearance and her actions. And we're going to look at how Jesus responds both to the Pharisees, but also to this woman. And so Maddie is now going to read the story to us. Thank you, Maddie. John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all of the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap, 
in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thank you, Maddie, for reading that passage to us. I always think it's really helpful when we're looking at a passage and we're trying to think, how does this apply to me? That we consider the context of the passage. And it's really important to highlight a couple of things around verse five, where the Pharisees make this statement. In the law of Moses, the commandment is to stone a woman caught in adultery. Now, this law can be found in Leviticus 20 verse 10. And they make that statement and then they ask this question, now what do you say to Jesus? They see, the thing is, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were not liking Jesus. He was growing in popularity with his teaching and they wanted to find a way of discrediting him. And they knew that if they asked him this question, now what do you say? And he said yes and people stoned this woman, he would be in trouble with the Roman authorities of the day. The Roman authorities were the only ones who could give the execution order, although the Jewish leaders could state that someone was guilty. And you find this uh, when we lead up to Jesus's death, where the Jewish leaders claim that Jesus is guilty, but ultimately it was Pontius Pilate who had to give the execution order. So if Jesus said yes to this question, then he would be in trouble with the Roman authorities and likely arrested. But equally, if he said no to this question, then the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders could accuse him of discrediting the Old Testament and the law of Moses, which was highly revered to the Jewish people at that time. And so they're deliberately setting up this trap for him. In fact, they're so keen on setting up this trap for him that they are dragging a woman who is guilty. She's been caught in the act of adultery, but they have dragged her probably naked to centre stage in front of a crowd. To her, she was incontemptible. She was non-redeemable. And that didn't matter, therefore, to disgrace her or bring her into disrepute in order to gain the moral high ground in this situation. Even in verse three, it states, they made her stand there. So they're very clearly trying to discredit this woman. They are making her stand there. Imagine that, being stood naked in front of a crowd of people and all your sin laid bare for everyone to make judgment upon you. All so that a religious person could gain some form of moral high ground. I always think it's helpful when we're looking at passages like this to think, who am I in this passage? And how does that therefore then relate to me? 
So in this passage, you can even feel like you are the woman caught in adultery, that you are trapped in sin, or maybe you don't know Jesus at all and feel a sense of shame upon yourself. Or maybe you do know Jesus and you're thinking, but wait, hang on a minute. I'm not like those Pharisees who drags that woman. I would never behave like that. How can that possibly relate to me? But the reality was, is the Pharisees were people who loved God. They were people who were keen to please him and to follow his law. A bit like people who love and trust Jesus. And the thing is, they've got themselves into a situation. And sometimes we can, maybe not so extreme, but perhaps maybe we can be Christians who tucked or who look in a condemning way. And so this morning, if you're in that category, I really want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we hear how Jesus responds both to the Pharisees and to this woman. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Jesus's response and we're going to highlight three things as we do that. So let's pick up from verse six, where it says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I mean, let's just pause the scene there for a moment. You have this woman who's been dragged. You have the Pharisees who have made this huge statement and have asked this question. Now, what do you say to Jesus? The crowd are there staring at this woman, potentially looking around for a stone. All her sin and shame is laid bare and you're waiting in anticipation for Jesus's answer. And he bends down and starts to write on the ground. I mean, why? It's really important to note that in those days, rabbis or religious teachers would write in the ground to educate students. And so in this moment, Jesus is educating those there present. And by bending down and writing on the ground, everyone's attention and gaze moves away from the woman and to Jesus. And so therefore, the first point this morning is that Jesus shows great compassion and dignity to this woman. He shows compassion for her situation as she stood humiliated, like I said, probably naked, with her sin laid bare in front of everyone. And he gives her dignity by encouraging everyone to look at him and to focus on his words. Jesus' response is remarkably different to the Pharisees. And that's a big challenge for us who are members of Hope Church. To ensure that we too show compassion and dignity to those around us who don't yet know Jesus, regardless of their lifestyle choices. It's an encouragement for us not to be like the Pharisees, not to take a moral high ground, not to be tutting Christians but to be people that see the person before us to show compassion and dignity towards them. And the thing is, we might not do it quite in the same way the Pharisees did. But we do gossip. Sometimes we talk about other people and their lifestyle choices and make judgments about their situations. Maybe we've only heard one side of the story and that's informed our whole judgment of them. And in that moment, as we share that judgment and that condemning view, are we upholding that person's dignity? Or maybe it's comments about immigration. Maybe we're quick to like, share and comment things on social media about the current immigration 
crisis. Maybe we're really good at chatting over the fence to our neighbours about how it's unfair that our taxes that we are paying are going to help people like that. And that maybe we discuss how the government needs to have stricter policies on immigration. And before we know it, we've got into conversations or we've liked, we've shared, we've commented on social media and we've actually forgotten the person stood before us. The person who has had their dignity stripped from them through the situation and the circumstances that they find themselves in. People who have had to leave all of their belongings due to war, famine or disease, who have gone on treacherous journeys, often walking or through the dangerous route of people smugglers, who have then got themselves on a boat in desperate plea to find safety and they have lost everything. We forget that before us there is a person who is hungry and needs something to eat. There is a person who is thirsty and needs something to drink. There is a person who is a stranger and needs to be invited in. There is a person who needs clothes and therefore needs to be given clothes. A person who may be physically but is certainly emotionally and mentally unwell and needs looking after. In 2015, this image changed a lot of people's minds. And earlier this week, similar stories and images were in the media as a teenage boy's body was washed up on a French shore. As we think about this crisis and this situation, we need to check our hearts. Are we responding with compassion and dignity towards refugees? What would happen if a refugee family was placed in Guildford? Would they be welcomed into Hope Church? Or maybe it's not that issue at all, but we are keyboard warriors. We love to stand up for good Christian morals. And we like to take a moral high ground on social media, sometimes in ways that completely isolate non-Christians. Maybe on issues such as abortion where we argue the Christian point of view but we fail to consider the women standing in front of us. The women who have had to make that decision to have a termination. Did you know that one in three women in England and Wales would have had a termination in their lifetime and the statistics are the same in the church as to what they are outside the church. So don't get me wrong, it's really good to have a clear biblical viewpoint on this issue, but we need to ensure that we're doing it in a way that treats the woman or the women in front of us with compassion and dignity. Not placing shame and judgment onto them. Because ultimately, the last place people will come for the issue of abortion, for the issue of support and help, is the church. Because we need to be able to show grace and dignity and compassion to those people. I would love to know that a sister, a daughter, a mother, a friend who faces a crisis pregnancy could come into the church, could talk to people and know that they will be respected, that they will receive compassion, that they receive dignity. That they don't need to be anxious about speaking to someone, but they will know that they will be valued, cherished, loved and cared for. 
And that's why it's so important that our online presence is just as gracious and compassionate as our physical presence would be. And so we really need to think about the context in which we share this issue. And may I say that social media isn't it. And so if you want to know more about how you can get involved with organisations in this issue that handle it in such amazing ways, then can I recommend two organisations for you? The first being CARE and the second being PCN, the Pregnancy Centres Network. They are fantastic organisations to be involved with. And so the question this morning, therefore, Hope Church, how are we doing with our tutting? Where is the Holy Spirit prompting you this morning to show compassion and dignity to those around you? Let's continue as we highlight the second way in which Jesus uh, approaches this issue and how he deals with sin and shame. So we've got to this moment where Jesus is writing on the ground and the elite are pestering him to answer this question. Now, what do you say? And I've always wondered, what did Jesus write? I love the fact that we know he wrote down and we know it's an educational tool. But what does that mean he wrote? And I've often wondered, because it's kind of an educational tool, did he start to quote or refer to other Old Testament books and verses? Maybe verses like Ecclesiastes 7.10. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Or maybe he started to list the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, lie, cheat, covet. But either way, he's encouraging everyone's focus to be on him. And then the story continues. Having written this, he then stood up and said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus, writing this statement, ensures that each person there's focus is on him, but then also on their own sin. They can no longer use this woman as a scapegoat because he highlights that they too have sinned. But also in this moment, he's also dealing with this woman's shame. And I absolutely love that. You see, shame arises when our wrongdoings, our weaknesses or our vulnerabilities are exposed in front of others. And we feel judged and condemned, which is exactly what's happened to this woman. But in this comment, he who is out sin cast the first stone. And then no one was left standing in front of her except for him shows her in such a tangible way is that she is like everyone else that everyone has fallen short of God's standards that all have sinned what an amazing way to show this woman that she's the same as everybody else that all have sinned no one there has the right to condemn her And so this morning, if you're someone who feels shame or feels as though your mistakes have been laid bare for all to see, I want you to know that Jesus will treat you with compassion and dignity and that he has dealt with your sin and your shame by dying on the cross. And that no one has the right 
to condemn you because all have fallen short of God's standards. Jesus is able to bear your sin and your shame. What an amazing news. But what I love about this story is it doesn't just stop there. And so my last point this morning is honour and grace. When everyone has left, Jesus begins a conversation with the woman and he asks this question, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I mean, what an honour. Jesus speaks to her. Jesus's behaviour is in complete contrast to the Pharisees. He honours the person in front of him because he sees her as worthy to be spoken to, worthy of interaction, worthy of compassion, worthy of dignity, worthy to be released from her sin and her shame and honoured enough to be spoken to. He honours her because he acknowledges her. But it doesn't just stop with honour. He also shows her grace. And it continues in verse 11. Then neither do I condemn you. This is just the most amazing news in the world. The perfect son of God, the only one who has the right to condemn her, chooses not to. What amazing grace. He doesn't cast the stone. He sets her free. He chooses to forgive her and a short time later he ultimately pays that price of dying on the cross for all of her sin and all of her shame. What outrageous grace. I mean, we can only guess, can't we, how shocked and in awe she would have been at his response in contrast to the religious elite of the day. At the start of this story, There was a woman caught in the magnitude of her sin, sin that was punishable by death, sin that was laid bare in front of everyone, where every person could have picked up a stone. And at this moment, she is left with just her and Jesus. And his words are, neither do I condemn you. I asked you a question this morning. Who do you most relate to in the story? And perhaps you're like the woman caught in adultery. Perhaps you feel the magnitude of your sin and shame. And if you come to Jesus this morning, you can know that he will treat you with compassion and dignity and that he has dealt with your sin and shame by dying on the cross and conquering death and sin by rising again three days later. And if you put your trust in him, he will bestow honour and you will experience his grace. But you know what? This isn't the only way that Jesus demonstrates grace to this woman. He also tells her the truth in verse 11 when he says, now go and leave your life of sin. He speaks the truth in love. She has sinned and he encouraged her to leave her life of sin. And so this morning, if you put your trust in Jesus, he too will encourage you to leave your life of sin. But you can have hope this morning because not only will he redeem you from your sin and your shame, but he will then send the Holy Spirit to be with you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to know that he is with you and that he is for you. And his Holy Spirit will start to renew you and transform you. And you know what? It's not an instant quick fix. 
It is a lifetime journey, but it's one in which you can journey with a saviour who has compassion and love for you. And he bestows all his grace and honour onto you. And just like me, I met Jesus a long time ago. And you know what? He is still transforming my life. I'm not at perfection yet. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, he will continue to work with you and he will be with you as you journey with him. And so this morning, if you would like to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, or may you want to come to his feet and make a significant recommitment, I'd love just to take an opportunity to pray. And in this prayer, we're just going to admit that we've got things wrong. We're going to say we believe that Jesus is enough that he died on the cross for us. And then we're going to commit to follow him for the rest of our lives. And so we're just going to pray now. So why don't you, where you are, follow on in your heart this prayer that I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your son, Jesus. And I want to thank you for his amazing sacrifice on the cross. This morning, as I come to you, I admit that I have not got things right. I admit that I have done wrong. But this morning as I come, I want to say that I believe that your son Jesus dying on the cross was enough to set me free from my sin and my shame. And so I want to commit my life to you this morning and I ask that your Holy Spirit will fill fill me now and be with me in your name. Amen. And for those of us who know Jesus and fall into the Pharisee category, we need to follow Jesus's example in this story and not the Pharisees. We need to be prepared to show those around us, our neighbours, our colleagues, our family, our friends, compassion and dignity. And this needs to come regardless of what we think of their lifestyle choices. Jesus showed compassion and dignity to this woman in her sin. Let's be honest, it's probably one of the worst moments in her life as she stood there naked before the crowd, branded as a sinner. And yet it was in that moment that Jesus showed compassion and dignity. He didn't scrub her up and make her clean before he gave compassion and dignity to her. But also we need to remember that our sin and our shame that we do not have the right to stand there with a stone in our hands, with our fingers pointing, our judgmental tuts, or with our fingers at the ready on social media. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. We're not saved by works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace. Ephesians 2 verse 3 to 5 says it like this. Like the rest, or... Like the woman caught in adultery, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Christ died for us. It is by grace you have been saved. And because we have been saved, we have been given honour And we've also been shown outrageous grace. 
so that we can be called children of God, forgiven, redeemed. And it means that we too can honour those around us and treat them with grace, even when they don't deserve it. Because let's be honest, we don't deserve it either. And yet we found ourselves hope in a Jesus who does bestow his grace and his love upon us. And so we need to treat people like Jesus treated this woman. But there is time to ask this question. Is there time to call out sin as Jesus did when he said, now go leave your life of sin? And the answer is yes, but this must come out of relationship with that person. It comes after the first three steps of compassion and dignity, of knowing your sin and your shame, on bestowing honour and grace. It often comes when people have actually encountered Jesus. And it always comes from a heart of love and not from a heart of judgment. And so doing it via social media or when it's people's first time to come through the door, that isn't the time. But challenging people with this question also comes from ultimately knowing that the best way for people to be transformed and to leave their life of sin is to be pointed towards Jesus and to encounter his Holy Spirit. It comes from knowing and trusting that God is more powerful and better place to change people's lives than you or me. It comes from knowing that Jesus is making people into his image and not into our own. It comes from knowing that we too are on this journey of leaving our life of sin. And whether you've been a Christian for a year or for 50 years, you are still on that journey of leaving your life of sin. And you will be on that journey until you die or until Jesus comes again, whichever comes first. But ultimately, challenging people to leave their life of sin comes out of relationship. And so what do we need to do? We need to put down the stones. We need to put down the tubs. We need to lay aside the finger warriors and we need to meet people. We need to show compassion to them, uphold their dignity, know that we too were in sin and shame. We need to bestow honour and grace on those around us. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question. Who do you need to start making those steps towards? Is there anyone or any scenario you feel like, oh, actually, I haven't got that right. And I want to become before my God and apologise and ask him to equip me to do it in the best way as I move forward. And so as I close this morning, I'd love just to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. And I thank you for your words, that your words can teach us and can encourage us and can equip us. And I thank you that this passage does that so well. I don't want to be the first to hold my hand up and say, I am so sorry for where I've got this wrong, where I've had a pharisaical attitude, where I've tutted, where I've not shown grace, where I've been too quick to pick up a stone. 
I want to apologize this morning and I pray, Lord God, that as I come to you, that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you will encourage me and encourage those listening to treat people in the way that you treated people through your son, Jesus. That you show compassion and dignity. I pray, Lord God, that we will recognise this morning what an amazing miracle it is when we come to know you and how much you have rescued us from our sin and our shame. May we never get bored of telling our testimony of how we were saved by you from our sin and from our shame so that you could then bestow honour and that we could receive your grace to the full and so we pray Holy Spirit will you be with us this morning encourage us we pray thanks for listening we're meeting online every Sunday at 10am head to hopechurchguildford.com for more information We look forward to seeing you.